Welcome to My Life, Chassidus Applied, episode 349. This will be a special Yud Aleph Nissen, Yud Gimel Nissen, and Pesach edition. This week, of course, is Yud Aleph Nissen, the 119th birthday of the Rebbe. Two days later, Yud Gimel Nissen is the 155th yard site of the Tzemach Tzedek. And next Shabbos is Shabbos HaGadl, Erev Pesach, leading into Pesach. So we'll be talking about all these matters in a chassidah-supplied fashion. This program is dedicated in honor of Simcha Cohen. Okay. So we'll go in order. And also, what is Karav Karav B'yeser? Elenu, that which is the closest to us, of course, is Yud Aleph Nissen, the Rebbe's birthday. Tofresh Samach Beis, on a Friday, the Rebbe was born in the year 1902. So this year, 2021, will be the beginning of the 120th year and essentially the 119th birthday, beginning Kapitel Kuf Chof, 120. Now, of course, uh, I wouldn't be sitting here and we wouldn't have Chassidus applied. And many of us, if not all of us, would not necessarily be learning Chassidus and be involved in the primary mission of Yefutzam and Nesecha as the Baal Shem Tov heard from Mashiach, that that will be the key to Yefutzam and Nesecha Chutzah, the key to Osimar Domalka Mashiach, the coming of Mashiach. So I would not be sitting here, so the first place to play tribute is the Rebbe, my Rebbe, our Rebbe, the Rebbe of our generation, Mashiach Hador, the Sidarenu, the seventh generation from the Alta Rebbe, in the words of the Rebbe himself, in the first Maimer, delivered 70 years ago in the year Tovshin Yud Aleph. So that alone is already a significance. When people ask me the question, people who didn't hear of the Rebbe or they have heard of the Rebbe, and they say, why is the Rebbe significant to me? And uh, I, I didn't see him, I didn't meet him. I may have been born after, the Rebbe, after Gimel Tammuz. So my answer is always a very straightforward one. Rarely, if at all, are we blessed to have someone who was sent by God to this world to tell us what our mission is. Of the eight billion people on this planet, how many people know what their divine calling is? And the Rebbe was sent here as a shliach Hashem, which is the role of a Rebbe, the Moshe Rabbeinu of each generation, of our generation, telling us what is the shlich, is the mission of our general lives, meaning our general generation, and also specifically each one of us. So I would not have my mission, I would not be doing this, I wouldn't be doing the work I do, or not inspired by and ignited by. And I say ignited because as the Rebbe always emphasizes, what Teirech Siddur says, Hashem each of us is a flame, but sometimes the flame needs to be fanned. The flame needs to be uh, lit, ignited, even though it's burning inside of us as a pilot flame, to be able to affect and impact us in our full capacity, in full capacity and permeate our personal lives, that's where the role of a Rebbe is. So Yod Alf Nissen, the birth, as the Rebbe emphasizes, the birthday is the day when the beginning of that person Shlichus in this world begins. This was the beginning of the Rebbe Shlichus in this world, which continues on through each one of us, Mazari Bachaim, Afu Bachaim. As his children are alive, so too is he. And Tamidim Elaha, Bonim Elaha Tamidim, Shanantun Levanacha Elaha Tamidim, children, Zare is considered to be the students, Students are considered to be children, and thus the, the mission perpetuates in full glory, growing every moment until we finally reach the finish line, as the Rebbe told us we would. The Gula Hamitis Vashlem. So, Yudalf Nissen, that's a, the central significance of Yudalf Nissen and why we honor it and celebrate it. Remember in Tafshimem Hey, when the Rebbe asked the question in a big Fabrengen on Yudalf Nissen. It was a televised Fabrengen that ever began. What, what, what kind of behavior is this to have a Fabrengen honoring one individual? Chassidus talks so much about, against the concept of any form of uh, gaiva, arrogance. So it's honoring that. And I remember shocked to hear the Rebbe even ask the question and so publicly. And the Rebbe went on and told the story about an individual, a rabbi that was a, a rav in a city, a very choshev, a distinguished city, hired a new rav. And he had all the qualities. He was a scholar, he was sensitive, he was a leader qualities. People connected with people, sensitive as, as someone, as I mentioned. And yet, 
One, the only flaw, the only fallacy, if you can call it that, was that he was physically short. So someone asked him, you know, does, is it fitting for a chosh of a distinguished city like ours to have a short rabbi? So he said, the mention's claim of the bankle is grace. The person may be small, but the seat, the throne, in other words, the place that, he's, uh, that he is uh, holding, is large. And the Rebbe was saying it's not the individual, it's what he represents. And he represents the tenu of Chabad, the movement of Chabad. So both the question and answer are quite rare and unique. But that's what the Rebbe described in Allah Nisan. So we're not honoring just an individual, we're honoring a leader of a movement. A movement that is here to transform the world. A movement of Teira, of Chassidus, going all the way back thousands of years, now manifest in a blueprint and a game plan of how to change this world, how to reach every Jew and, and how to reach every non-Jew and bring the word of God and bring godliness to each person according to their particular role till, till the point where we have a world filled with divine knowledge as the waters cover the sea. So of course it's a day where we take on resolutions in our commitment to fulfilling our mission in context of fulfilling the mission as shluchim of the Rebbe, the Mishaleach, the emissary, and the Rebbe himself being a messenger of God. So we're all ambassadors. And this is what we need to do on Yeral is take on new resolutions to increase our work and perhaps also begin something new that we haven't done until now in following the Rebbe's teachings and directives. Obviously, learning something from the Rebbe is appropriate. Many have the custom to begin uh, learning, well, saying, or Chassidim say, the Rebbe's capital, the new capital 120, but also to study the Pirushim, the interpretations of that capital in Yal Eir, the Samach Tzedek's commentaries on Tehillim. This actually began in Tavshin Mem, Mem, uh, Mem Beis. When the Rebbe turned 80, I had the honor actually to, as the Rebbe about suggested different things. To, to honor the 80th birthday, and one of the things that emerged that the Rebbe actually asked us to suggest something was a Kevich Yeral of Nisan. So ever since, every year, a Kevich Yeral of Nisan, which includes that discussion, then it was about 80 and capital Pei and Pei Aleph, capital chapter 81. So ever since, every year, a booklet comes out of. Sometimes it's more than a booklet, that's an entire book, depending on the size of the Tehillim and, and on the commentaries. That includes all the commentaries from the Arizal all the way till the Rebbe on that particular section of the Book of Psalms. So in addition to learning, in addition to Psalms, of course, is also considered prayer. Also doing actions, Gemilz Chasadim, in honor of the Rebbe. And of course, it goes hand in hand with coming right into Pesach. So with that, I've spoken about Yeralf Nissen in uh, previous years. And I'll give you a cross-reference right now because I don't want to go over everything I've said it was in episode 62, 112, 157, 158, 207, 257, 303, basically almost every year, when the, depending on the schedule, and also about the Yud Gimel Nissen, and these uh, episodes. You can find these previous episodes at chassidahsupply.com, um, of uh, the six years of the My Life Chassidus Applied Essay and Creative Contest. And there's also other resources there around Chassidus, Sayyim Beis, and Samarvov. I began a new program called My Life Chassidus Matanya Applied every Mitzvah Shabbos. You can access that as well. Just finished the sixth section, the sixth episode, beginning Tanya, the beginning of Tanya. And the other materials, and please, please, take advantage of that resource. So, since I already spoke about many different aspects, I'll just address a few questions that did come in recently about Yudalf Nissen. When did the custom begin to compose a new song in honor of Yudalf Nissen? How were the songs chosen? With Yudalf Nissen coming up, it's been customary for someone to compose a new song every year from a verse in Tehillim corresponding to the Rebbe's capital, as I just mentioned. My question is, when did the custom begin? Was it in Tafshin Yud Aleph, in the first year of the Rebbe's Nesias, or did it start later on? 
Also, in some years, a few different people compose songs. How is it chosen? Which would be the winning song? Did the Rebbe himself choose from the finalists, or was it a general consensus of the community? Well, it's a little history here. In Tavshin Yud Aleph, even though people knew the Rebbe's birthday, Yud Aleph Nissan, as a matter of fact, when you look at Hayyam Yayim, which the Rebbe composed in Tavshin Gimel, 1943, you see that uh, what is the section Yud Aleph Nissan is talking about a birthday. That on a birthday, a person should be, should be very introspective. The day of uh, his bodhidus, which means really isolation and being able to soul search and uh, make decisions and resolutions. But it was not in any open way celebrated then. Tovshin Yud Beis, when the Rebbe turned 50 years old, the Rebbe did say, Maimer Adnei Svosei Tiftach An Kapitel Samach Aleph. And again, in Tovshin Chov Beis, when the Rebbe turned 60, he fabrenged, fabrengen, along fabrengen, and also said, Maimer. But besides that, as I said, it was all private, nothing was in public. It was in Tovshin Lamed Aleph, 1971, when the Rebbe first said a mimer and began to acknowledge publicly when people honored him, letters and so on. I'm sure people wrote to the Rebbe greetings also earlier, but it became more public in Tovshin Lamed Aleph. And from then on, every year, Yudalf Nissen became an open celebration with a full fabrenging. And of course, Tovshin Lamed Beis, 1972, the Rebbe turned 70. And that was a whole trask, a whole farnem, with the Rebbe Fabrengda, Bong Fabrengen, uh, several Fabrengens around then established then the 71 organizations, Ayin Aleph Mezis, in honor of 70 years, discussed and explained that year, every day Pesach, the Rebbe Fabrengda, and the only time, except in Memches, where the Rebbe spoke as well, that every day, and explained sections from the book of, from the Psalms, from Kapitel Ayin Aleph, 71, Psalm 71. And going forward from Lamed Gimel and so on, till all the way till the Tavshin Nun Aleph, which was the last time the Rebbe related to Yud Aleph Nissen spoke to us, there was every year of Fabrengen. Now, as far as the songs go, in the beginning, the Nugunim were, the Nugunim were always on the capital of the Rebbe, the new chapter in Tehillim. But in Lamed, uh, in Lamed, uh, Lamed Aleph, Lamed Beis, the, the Psukim Elikim Yishiyetzian, and then the next ones, each one was just taking an old Chassidish melody and putting it to the words of that particular section in Tehillim, to a verse in that section in Tehillim. And so it went on for quite a few years. I'm not sure what year people began to compose individually new tunes. Till then it was the Chassidish tunes. The General Rebbe never chose directly, as far as I know, it was more consensus when people chose different nigunim, and maybe they sang a nigun at a fabrengen, and the Rebbe made with his hands, and some people saw that as accepting it. Honestly, I'm not even sure why it went over from chassidish melodies of old to new melodies and new tunes. I personally preferred the previous one, not in any way to disparage the new tunes, but using a tune that has been known, a chassidish tune sung by the Rabbeim, always seemed very fitting. But that's my own personal opinion. I'm not here to lead any crusade about it. I'm just mentioning it as a comment. So that's what began to happen. And then I guess a new, new tune maybe made people feel it's more novel, whatever the reason may be. But essentially it's become by consensus, not, uh, not ordained or divinely ordained or by the Rebbe, uh, chosen by the, by the Rebbe. And it's again another sign of the love of Chassidim to the Rebbe, the love of Chassidim to Yudalaf Nissen, the Rebbe's birthday, and honoring it with a nunigan on the verse of the chapter that corresponds to the Rebbe's age, which of course is always the next. So in other words, this year, 119, we begin Kapitel Kuvchav, 120. There's another question that came in. Based on the Rebbe's explanation why we honor the Yartzer of Moshe on Zayin Adar, 7th of Adar, and not his birthday, why do we celebrate 11th Nisan? Okay. Hello, Rabbi Jacobson. I just learned the Sikh and Chelik Tazayin, the The Rebbe explained the connection between others, specifically 7th of Adar and Purim and Pesach. And the Rebbe mentions there that the reason why Moshe Rabbeinu's birthday is celebrated on this day of his passing is because till then it was only potential. And the day of the passing, it becomes revealed. Why do we celebrate Yud Aleph and taking a step further? All our birthdays, However, my primary question is the Rebbe's birthday, which is the Moshe Rabbeinu of our generation. So what he does say there is, indeed, 
that the reason he asked the question, why is the birthday not celebrated, just like the Yartzeit is honored through fasting, as some have the custom, this is brought from Svarim, as he recites all there, and not the birthday, even though the birthday is actually more powerful than the Yartzeit, as received from the story of Haman. Haman threw lots, and it fell on other, and he was happy, because it was the month when Moshe passed away, so I thought it was a bad omen for the Jewish people. The Gemara continues, he didn't know that this was the day he passed away and also the day he was born. So Yemelah, this clearly has power as he explains there. And he answers that essentially in the birthday it's not as revealed. And um, because it's still in the potential state and by the Alter Rebbe writes in the Geras HaKedish that when do you see the full glory of a tzaddik's work on this earth is the past day of passing the yard site. And since a yard site is not a revealed joy immediately at least, so therefore, it's not celebrated through a simcha, it's celebrated more through a tonus, as he explains there at length. And yet, there is a simcha in the years later, because the Yartzeit is connected to the aliyah of the, all the work of that tzaddik. So, this person, so the individual is asking here, why then do we celebrate a birthday? This is a general question you can ask, that is in general emphasis on birthdays. So there's a few ways you can answer it. First of all, it doesn't say there that a birthday is not a reason for celebration. He's just speaking there about Moshe Rabbeinu in that context, which also happens to be his yard site. In most people's cases, the birthday is not the same day as the yard site. That's number one. Number two, it could very well be that this is one of the chidushim. Remember, birthdays were not something that was celebrated publicly. It's something that the Rebbe initiated, based, of course, on Chazal and based on the fact, as he cites there, that birthdays were marked, Yitzchok's birthday, another birthday, the birthday of Moshe Rabbeinu, the power of it. And he brings from other sources as well that this is one of the things that ever felt that in our generation is necessary. One of the reasons is to strengthen and embolden and empower people in their mission in life, the role of a birthday. The Rebbe initiated already before Tavshah Memches, but the Rebbe already was telling people to celebrate their birthdays with suggestions, as I mentioned, from the Hayyim Yeim. But in Tavshim Amches, it took on a whole other dimension. After the Rebbe, since passing Chav Beishvat and Chav Fei Oder, 1988, the Rebbe turned it into a full-blown campaign, so to speak. And uh, as I said, adding Gedusha, when you need more Gedusha, when there's more darkness and there are more challenges in life. Uh, so therefore... To just say that you, you honor the yard site, a birthday is also at least as much, if not even more powerful in some ways. The, regarding Moshe Rabbeinu, what he explains there is regarding Moshe there. Bottom line is a birthday, as I mentioned a number of times, that Rebbe himself wrote it, is the beginning of a person's very being, his zayin, his very being in existence, and therefore is the most important day. It's the Rebbe's words, the talk, the most important day, because it's the beginning of a person's entire mission. The mission begins. This is the reason I, in the chapter, Birth, in Torah Meaning for Life, I read the subtitle was, The Mission Begins. Birth is God saying, you matter, is a quote I use there, paraphrasing from the Rebbe. And uh, beginning of our mission. Okay. So much more can be said by Yudal Alphonis, and I can dedicate this entire program to the Rebbe, obviously, and the truth is everything that we will be discussing is in one way or another connected through the lens of the Rebbe. But let me move to Yud Gimel Nissen, which is, of course, connected to the Rebbe, same name, Samach Tzedek and the Rebbe, same name of the Rebbe, since Chaim Mushke, and, there, and the days Yud Alf Nissen, Yud Gimel Nissen, just two days apart. Yud Gimel Nissen, of course, is the yard site of the Samach Tzedek. The birthday of the Samach Tzedek is that of Rosh Hashanah. Interesting, right before Rosh Hashanah is his birthday, Right before Pesach is his yard site. The two opinions of when the creation of the world and when we celebrate Rosh Hashanah, corresponding to that. So Yud Gimel Nissen is the yard site of the Tzamech Tzedek and Tofresh Chavov, so this year would be the 155th year. The Rebbe is in a direct line, as a, the, the Friedrich Rebbe, the Rebbe is a son-in-law, but the Tzamech Tzedek and Ben Acher Ben, the generations that lead straight to the Rebbe. So there's that, also that connection as well. Samach Tzedek, you find that the Rebbe especially printed the Eiratetis and was very, um, very, uh, very keen on always citing Eiratetis. I had the privilege to be part of the editorial team of Sefer Lekutim Dach Samach Tzedek that the Rebbe initiated in 1977. 
at the end of uh, 1976, the end of 1976, Tav Shalom Zion, December 1976, Sefer Lekutim was to create an encyclopedia of gathering together all the Tzemach Tzedek's chassidus, and at the end, all Mavteiches indexes to all the previous and Rabbeim and all the Rabbeim after the Tzemach Tzedek. So you have all chassidus incorporated there. That's when I began to appreciate somewhat the Tzemach Tzedek, because we don't really study the Tzemach Tzedek's chassidus, except Derech Mitzvah But most of the rest of it, most is in yeshiva, we don't really learn it. But when I looked at there, when I worked there, I came to realize the scope and the breadth. Tzemach Tzedek literally connecting Kola Teira Kula, all the Teira, to Chassidus. So you suddenly see the, the, the innovation and the contribution of the Alter Rebbe in a whole new light. The Alter Rebbe said his ideas, and he brought his Maimor Chazal. But the Tzemach Tzedek connects it literally to all the Chazal and all the Psukim and shows how Chassidus enriches it and how Chassidus complements it and how it all is interwoven. Tzemach Tzedek. In the Sviris that Rabbeim said, Tzemach Tzedek is Das. Avtech the Kol Shis. Encompassing all. Das connects. is a connector. It's the Kava Mtsoi that connects all the way from the top to Mkeset all the way downward. And you see it in the learning and teaching of the Chassidus. I remember just to share one short story. Tovshin Mem Yud Gimel Tishrei is the yard site of the Reb Marash, son of the Tzemach Sadiq. And the fifth and the fourth Chabad Reb. Chassidim would say, Echod Be'echod Yugoshu. Echod is Gimatri Yud Gimel. So Echod Be'echod Yugoshu, one Echod meets Echod. The Echad of the Rebbe Marash meets the Echad, the Yud Gimel of the Rebbe Marash, Yud Gimel Tishrei meets the Yud Gimel Nisan of the Rebbe Tzemach Tzedek. They had that bond and connection. The Rebbe told the story, well, the Rebbe explained, the Friedrich Rebbe once quoted the Rebbe Marash as saying that the Alta Rebbe is Chochmah. Well, it begins even earlier. The Baal Shem Tev and the Magid are Keser. Some places it says the Baal Shem Tev is Atik and the Magid is Arich. The Alta Rebbe is Chochmah. The Mitla Rebbe, he said, the Zayd is Bina. The Tate is Das. Then we, of course, continue that uh, Netzach is the Rebbe Marash, Choyd is the Rebbe Rashab, Yisod is the Friedrich Rebbe, and Malchus would be the Rebbe. So then the, then the Rebbe Marash added, when it stood up from foreign, some Tatnun Herr was Tutzach. And now we have to travel to father, to my father, to hear what's going on. The Rebbe said, what's the connection? He's talking about the spheres, and then suddenly he says, now we have to go to my father to hear what's going on. And the Rebbe answered, since his father, Samach Tzedek, is Das, and Das is Ela Ada Keser, meaning he goes all the way into the superconscious of the divine, so that from foreign Simtaten, we go to Das, which goes to Keser, to hear what's going on in Keser. If you want to know what's going on at the highest levels of what, that govern and rule all of reality, you go to my great Tzimtatn, Sadas, to go all the way up to Keser. That's what the Rebbe said. One more thing that I think is extremely relevant to us is what the Rebbe quoted in Tavshin Chavah 55 years ago, when the Rebbe Fabreng Yud Gimel Nissen in honor of the Samach Tzedek, and he said that the story, Samach Tzedek was in Petersburg, we used to go to Petersburg to deal with all kinds of different public affairs. It was always connected to Asakone because anything could happen. Dangerous. So the Rebetzin and Chassidim said to the Samach Tzedek, it's dangerous, send someone else. Something happens to you, God forbid. So Samach Tzedek responded and said, I'll respond in the language of the Gemara. With an answer, and if you want, another answer. It says, the children, I have the children. So if something happens to me, basically, he's saying, we have the children. We'll take over. And he said, if you want another answer, as chassidim, as the achdus for chassidim, the achdus sevisha chassidim, the unity among chassidim, that was filled in kegem Mashiach Sidkeno, will lead us to Mashiach Sidkeno. So no matter what happens, the unity of the chassidim will lead us. The Rebbe then said, kinder zaynishtoitzt, which chassidim took to mean, the Rebbe doesn't have children. So now we only have achdus. Now how prescient is that and relevant to us now after Gimel Tamos? And there you have a connection, Yud Aleph Nisan, Yud Gimel Nisan. The lesson to us, Ardus, the unity among us, will lead us to Mashiach. The Rebbe wrote to someone that if there was Ardus Yisrael, we would have, Mashiach would have already come. It's so bizarre that 
we have the exact formula we were told. This isn't a guess. It's not just, oh, there's a possible and Sinas Chinam destroyed the Besamidus. So Avas Chinam will bring the Gu'ula, but it's a specific, it's explicit. And yet there's still that challenge. And I speak to myself as I speak to you. So maybe that alone is the ultimate resolution to take in honor of Yud Alephness, in honor of Yud Gimelness, in honor of Pesach this year, Tovshim Pei Aleph, once and for all. A total revolution of unity. Not tolerating and not accepting any type of discussions that talk about conflict at your table. When I say not tolerating, I don't mean in an aggressive way. I mean to say just don't allow toxins into your home, into your family, to your children. Because the fuels of machlekas, fuels of opposite of unity can only be fed when we get involved. Stay away from it in every possible way. Those that want to fight, let's their business. Isolate, let them be isolated, let it be contained. Let us not feed into it, and on the contrary, Avas and Ardis will lead us to the Gu'ula. Okay. This Shabbos is also Tzav and Shabbos HaGodl, this coming Shabbos, which is Erev Pesach, the rare Kviyas when Purim is Friday, Erev Pesach is Shabbos, which is, uh, has its own series of halachas, so definitely consult with the Rabbonim of all the behavior that has to be done when Erev Pesach is on a Shabbos, and Mitzray Shabbos is the Seder. Remember, all the laws apply because it's Erev Pesach, so at a certain point you can't eat chametz in the morning. So there's a whole Seder, a whole order of how when to daven and when to eat, and to be Yetzir Mitzvah Shabbos, because we can't in any way diminish that, and at the same time preserving all the halachas of Pesach. Okay. So there's a few questions that came in, uh, the, one or two questions that came in about Pashat Sav, Shabbos HaGadol. I'll first give you a cross-reference, because again, I've spoken about it, so no reason to repeat it. Episodes 111, 157, 206, 256, 304. just want to make a side comment. Some people ask me, why do you have to read these cross-references? Who's going to look it up? Well, let me tell you something. Quite a few people do look them up, because I see from the responses they were recorded, yes, last year or two years ago, the previous years, but they're relevant now as ever. And obviously everyone has a choice. It's not compelling you to, um, to look it up. But from my point of view, listening to this or pressing a, an extra button and listening to it when I was said earlier, it has equal value. Obviously, we always want to add something, so that's why I add different points every year. But at the end of the day, they all complement each other. So I'm not avoiding talking about these topics. I'm just pointing out where you can hear it, all part of this one series. As they say, or the opposite. The words of Teda are wealthy in one place and are less well, have less in another place, meaning they have to complement each other. In Pashat Sav, it discusses a seven-day class where Moshe taught Aaron and his sons how to be Kohanim. <coughs> <clears throat> it also seems our entire nation was commanded to be present and watch as Aaron and his sons donned the priestly garments garments for the first time. Now this was a monumental occasion. Does the pressure tell us if there was a big party afterward to celebrate the grand opening of the Mishkan? Also, at that time, were only Aaron and his sons the Kahanim, or did they keep inducing, inducting more Kahanim afterward? It would seem that being... We had more than 600,000 people. A small handful of kahanim wouldn't be enough to do all the work in a timely manner. Thank you, Rabbi Jacobson, for your amazing night, Sunday night program. May you have a happy and kosher Pesach, and may God Almighty bless you and your family during the month of Nisan, which has the energy of miracles and wonders, that you should witness positive revealed miracles that benefit you and the entire Klaus. Amen. Yes, I said amen to my own bracha, because why not? Well, Teda celebrations are not just parties. Celebrations are divine, is a part of divine service. So what greater party, so to speak, is the Chanukah Mishkan itself? That's why it's called Chanukah Mishkan. It was dedicating the temple, and there were special offerings brought, and special blessings said, in this week's Parashat Sav, for the Shmini, it's, uh, that itself, when you read it, is very festive, and that was the dedication. The dedication would continue with all the heads of the tribes and Pasha Nosei bringing their offerings, offerings, 
One of the reasons Hanukkah is called Hanukkah because Hanukkah is a Mizbech, and we read the Parsha Nosei, the Nosei, just like we say it in the days of Nisan, because that is a celebration. Those offerings were all part of the celebration. So they don't need an after party, so to speak. That is the party. To the extent it was a party that not even a view with, such, with a search for the, the, and seeking divine ecstasy ran in with passion into the Kedush Kedoshim and we see what happened. It wasn't a positive result, but it came from a very beautiful place, as the Eir Chaim explains. It came from their hunger, their thirst, their yearning to connect. So it was one of the, that's the party, the party, the greatest party, the divine revelation that happened on that Rosh Nissen that year when they erected and they dedicated the temple. And that's why they dedicated it. As Chassidus explains, a dedication is like when you send someone off on a new journey, you make a dedication, you give them gifts, and you do everything possible to empower them in this new journey. And here the journey was the beginning of the service in the Mishkan. As far as other Koyahanim, it appears, I didn't look up in the, in, in the sources, but it appears that there were enough Koyahanim to go around, Aaron and all his uh, sons, even though there were only those few sons, but at that point, that was enough to do that service. It wasn't about repre- representing the numbers of people. These aren't elected officials that are representing districts. The point was doing the service that was necessary. The service, whether it was in Yom Kippur, or the service during every day, or the other, or, or Shabbos and Yom Tov and all the other holidays, and all the other days when there were special uh, offerings and so on, they achieved that. It's a good question, were they able to do all the work that the Jews needed to bring offerings? Something I would have to look into. If somebody has an immediate answer, knows a source by all means, I'm sure it's discussed. But suffice what I've said here, and I will look more into that, whether there will be enough, whether they're, um, what, how, they, how that took place. Okay. Now, another question. What is the significance that the fire in the Mizbeach is required to be burning at all times? Was it not a waste of fuel to keep it burning late at night when it wasn't being used? Esh Tomid Tukad al Mizbeach, similar to Ner Tomid of the Meneir. Chassidus explains very straightforward. The Mizbeach represents Neshamas, Knesset Yisrael Malchus. The fire represents the passion, the fiery passion to connect to the divine. That fiery passion is supposed to be permanent, ongoing. So the significance is straightforward. Is that exactly that? That the fire is always burning. The same is true in our lives. The fire of our soul should always be burning in passion to connect to God. That's the brief and short answer. Okay. With that, let's get into Pesach. I spent much time on the first part, which of course was important and relevant. Lessons from Pesach. Lessons from Pesach in our lives today. So I have many questions that came in. I'm going to may have to prioritize. Let's see how many I can cover. But I will give you cross-referencing yet again. Episodes 12 and 13, 62, 158, 207, 257, 302. 302 to 304, which was actually last year, and there was specifically COVID-related. Remember last year's Pesach? Thank God this year is a little better. still has its challenges, but COVID then was a big factor. So 302 or 304, 302, 303, and 304, I discussed that angle. So, which is why I'm not focusing on that now. Much of it is relevant today, but you can easily find that at chassidusapply.com. You can search by word, you can search by episode number. It's pretty easy to find anything you're looking for. So question number one. If one of the lessons of Pesach is to burst out of our limitations, what are some practical examples of how we can do so in our daily lives to improve, to improve both physically and spiritually? Or the way another person wrote it, what are some practical examples of how we can experience Pesach transcendence in our daily lives today? Okay, so Pesach literally means Pesach Pesach to leap over, pass over. What is it in Aveda? It's the idea of transcending. When you pass over, you're transcending some block or limitation. What are we transcending? Yitzias Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim means, comes from the word Mitzarim V'gvulim, boundaries and limitations, referring to every possible constraint, limit, inhibition, fear, insecurity, Fill in the blanks. That's what Mitzrayim is. Yitzias Mitzrayim is 
emancipation, transcending our limitations, going beyond. So the question is how lessons, practical lessons. The way I would say it is the key is to identify something in your life that's a limit, something you feel is blocking you. It could be a fear, it could be a, a real fear, it could be an imagined fear. It could be some other issue that's concerning us. It could be physical, it could be spiritual. Identify that and say, okay, as I prepare for Pesach now, just like we learned the halachas, the laws of Pesach, we also prepare spiritually and psychologically and emotionally. And we know anything special, requires preparation. You're going to an important meeting, important presentation. You're going to prepare yourself. The better you prepare, the better you, the experience will be. So prepare yourself and say, okay, I'm going going into Pesach with a mindset and heart set. I'm going to address this and this concern. I want Pesach's energy, the energy of freedom, the energy of Zman Cherusenu, to help empower me. And the, all the elements, the 15 steps of the Seder itself, are all meant to help us do exactly that. It's not just rituals that we're going through motions, mechanical motions, robotically. It's meant to relive the experience in our personal lives. Not just in every generation, in every day, every moment. We need to be experiencing the Pesach experience. But we already left Egypt many years ago. But Mitzvah and Vigvulim we have not left. We still have that in our lives. So the best way to practically apply it is find that specific limit and constraint. It could be an issue you may have with your children. It could be something with your spouse. It could be within yourself, be with people in the community, friends, or in general blocks in your own mind, your own fears, your own concerns. We're living in a lot of uncertainty today. These are all qualifiers of Mitzrayim. Find your Mitzrayim and let Pesach do its magic. When I say magic, magic not in a literal sense. It means it's energy coupled with your effort. And the more you bring yourself it's not just happens automatically. Halavai, God should bless it, should happen easily. But the more work we do by identifying something, the more Pesach and the Seder and eating the matzah and the wine and everything will come into play to help you free yourself. I have in previous years, and if you go to meaningfullife.com, you can find, did a, last year I actually did a 15-step journey. It was called the 15-step, music, uh, 15-step soulful and musical journey through the Seder, toward freedom, which really took each component of the 15 steps and showed how we can use it to free ourselves. So it's something you can access easily. Go to MeaningfulLife.com, just type that in, 15-step soulful musical program or musical or journey, and access that as well as many other written materials where I go through the Seder every step by step. Just the time is limited here for me to do that right here, right now. So I'm referring you to there. You can print it out. It's a great companion guide to the Haggadah, to the Seder, where you can use it to personalize the experience and turn the Seder into the most transformative experience you've ever, you've ever had. So that's the key. The key is identifying your Mitzrayim and then looking at how Pesach, how faith, how the other 15 steps, starting from Kaddish, Urchatz, and so on, help you get to that place of freeing yourself somewhat and then there's the Hemshel that that has a perpetual effect through the rest of the year and the rest of your life. <coughs> I'll just give one example. Matzah is lechem eni, it's called. The bread of the impoverished. But it's also called michel da mamnusa, michel da asavusa. The asavusa. The food, of, the, the food of faith and the food of healing. What does this mean? Because the eating of matzah was due to amuna. In the Vakacha, the Rabbi Marash says that it's, when you eat matzah, it's like eating elikus. Of course, it's a physical food, and all physical food has a divine spark. But there's something about it, it's about bitl. Bitl is a key to all growth and to all transcendence. Often, it's our egos, our pride, our shame, our self, the self that gets in the way that doesn't allow you to get beyond your Mitzrayim, your limitations. So eating matzah reminds us of the need for bitl. Chametz is inflated. 
It's the ches instead of the hey. Matz is mem tzadik. Hey, chometz is ches mem tzadik. Mem tzadik are the same, but the hey and ches. Hey has a spout, has a space, the space of humility. Ches is enclosed. So free yourself of yourself. Allow yourself to transcend yourself. Don't take yourself so seriously. Take God seriously. Take your mission seriously. Take the cause seriously. Take the Rebbe seriously. And that minimizes the effect of many of our limitations. Because our limitations are ultimately what's in our mind. Even if they're a physical limitation, even if it's objectively a limitation, but it's still your attitude. Because God put you there. If God puts you there, that means you have the strength to deal with that limitation. So it's all about freeing yourself from being too consumed with yourself and your limitations. That's one of the key messages of Pesach, embodied in and personified in Matzah, as well as in other elements of the Seder and through Pesach. The dipping is also a form of sublimation and bitl, as I explain in those 15 steps more at length. Okay. What is your favorite Pesach mimer? Well, similar question I was asked last week about, about another topic. Well, what is your favorite mime with the subject of Pesach? Can you give over a short synopsis? Thank you. It's very hard for me to give you favorite mimeorum. They're all my favorites. Each is beautiful in its own way. It's just not my style to find one favorite. Sometimes there's a line that jumps out at you and speaks to you, like, like it is with Havel with music. That's sometimes favorite music. Different music, different times. But there's definitely unique things in many different memoirs. I just happened to look at Matzah Zu Tafresh Ayim Beis. It's not from the Hemshech, it's printed in Tafresh Ayim Beis, Ayim Vov. And there's a line he brings there, it's actually the Samachsadik cites it as well in Eira Teira Boy. He asks a question Since Hashem does all the mitzvahs, so how does he do the mitzvah of Yiddish Hashem? Avas Hashem, the God does by through Avas Yisrael. God loves the Jewish people. But Yiddish Hashem, how can God be Makayim the mitzvah? Lamaila, how do you have the kind of mitzvah of yira, of awe, fear? Fear of what? And he says, he answers, it says in a sefer on Svarim, that since Hakul since everything is in the hands of heaven except Yira Shemaim, so God is the fear of Lamaila is the fear will Jews be tzaddikim and will they not fall from their existing holy level? So God, in a certain way, Kavyochl, so to speak, has fear of that, that concern. So that's something that just came my way. <laughs> Can I say it's my favorite mimer? I will not say that, but it definitely captures. Since I'm learning Ayin Beis, so the mimerim of Pesach, Ayin Hey, are unbelievable mimerim, where the, the, sorry, the Rebbe Rashab, the grandson of the Tzemach the Rebbe Rashab talks about the transformation of the Tzimtzum in the sense of asking the question, since all of existence is predicated on the concealment, can we ever reach beyond the concealment? Can we reach before the symptom? Conceptual time before. Since existence is dependent on the symptom. And his answer is absolutely yes. By transforming the symptom. It's, if you're talking about good, <laughs> you're looking at a powerful Pesach Mamorim, read those Pesach Mamorim in Ayin Hey. This is in volume two of Ayin Beis. Okay. Um, with that, let us go to the next question. To the eminent, inimitable, I'm reading because it makes me smile. To the eminent, inimitable YouTube, Mashpir, Rapsimishlit, to thank you so much for your ongoing Hafatzah Samayonis. Chutzah Hashem should continue to bless you with the strength and clarity to continue your work. May you be mighty Yomim Amalachtacha. Okay. My question today is about Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. We are taught that 80% of the descendants of Yaakov died in Mitzrayim and never left. While it was miraculous that even 20% were able to leave, it is tragic that 80% didn't make it. Now I know we're taught that the Gula Sida won't be that way. Everyone will leave. But imagine for a moment that 8 out of 10, of every 10 Jews died before the, the final redemption. Would the remaining 20% be happy with the Gula or broken that most Jews didn't make it? It seems that while collectively for the Jewish people, the Gula Mitzrayim was the birth of the nation and a redemption the Gulas Mitzrayim wasn't a ghoul at all for 80% of the people. What are we supposed to make about this? Okay. Well, let me connect this already with another question. Oh, you know what? Let me first answer this question, then we'll connect it to another question. Okay. So first of all, let's start with the sources. 
This is the second Pirush of Rashi. He brings two, explains, two explanations of the word v'chamushim, the beginning of Parsha B'Shalach. What does it mean? So the first explanation is that they were armed. The second, from the Mechilta, he brings that the meaning is that Chamushim, only a fifth of the people left, and the rest passed away during the Makas Chesha, the darkness, so the Egyptians shouldn't notice. Now, that is indeed brought in Rashi, but it's not so simple. The Evan Ezra, it, the one not printed in a Chumash, Evan Ezra has two commentaries, one sometimes called Peter Shadishin or Peter Shakotzer. The Evan Ezra, Abavrom Avram ben Ezra, ben Ezra, brings and challenges this medrash. He says that, first of all, this medrash is a das yachid and it's dependent on disagreement. And then he questions the whole thing. How is it possible? To say the Egyptians didn't notice? Yes, it was dark, but afterwards, 80% of the people, and they didn't notice? These are the Jews were their, uh, they were their, their slave laborers. And in general, the Jews didn't die in any of the Makas, even Makas B'cheres. And suddenly here they all, 80% died. So he questions and says that there must be something here. Either it was written and then there was some deeper secret. He's not, he does not accept this Medrash. Many question as well, what does this mean exactly? So I've heard different explanations. There's one explanation that said that it doesn't mean that 80% died. It means, al what it says about Cain, that when, Hevel, when Cain killed Hevel, but Hevel, so it says the, his blood for generation, all the generations cry out. So it's not about the, the, how many people died. It was only Hevel, but it was all the generations that would have come from him. So the Gemara, what the Medrash is, is suggesting that it's not people died, it's that what all they would come from them. may not be the Pshat, but that's one explanation. Other site, what it says in the Gemara in Sanhedrin, Kufir Aleph, Amar Aleph, talks about La'asid Lave, and talks also about this issue, about how many people will remain, and there clearly also seems to suggest that not all the Jews will go out of, the, go out of Golas, many will die. So the Maral and, uh, and the, and the Ben Ishchai and others explain that referring there is not referring to the people of the generation of the Gold. It's referring to all the people that lived throughout history that died. Not in that generation. So you can say the same thing here, that perhaps it's referring that most Jews through the 210 years of exile, many died in Egypt not due to necessarily any sin of theirs. Now I know this is not necessarily the immediate pshat, but that's what some say. I've looked from the, to see if the Rebbe speaks about it, but I've not found anything from the Rebbe. But I will say the following. That the Rebbe clearly in the Sikha Shmois, Chelik Yuralov, first Sikha talks about this. And asks the question, why Taka, the Jews are loved by God, why did any Jew die in Mitzrayim? So some say it's the era of Rav and it wasn't necessarily the Jews yet. It was, it was people who were just troublemakers, who wanted to mix with the Jews but were not really belong there in the first place. But even if you say it's the Jews, that Eb explains that what's the difference between that and La'asad Lave, we say that that God will take every Jew out of Golis. What's the difference? So he explains the name of the Ragachover, not about this, but the Ragachover about a different thing. Why is Yom Kippur? Yom Kippur forgives everything except someone who uses Yom Kippur to be forgiven. Because he says the prosecutor cannot become a defense. You can't use something. This is the Jews, the ones that died, that Medrash says they died because they didn't want to go out of Mitzrayim. That alone means that Mitzrayim, that the Gula cannot help them because they pulled themselves out of it. And the Rebbe explains because there's two connections between the Jewish people and God. The connection has been Ibn Yisrael as a child. So that's a natural biological connection. But a child can defy a father. But then there's an Atzmizdike connection that can never be changed. That came afterwards by Matan Teira. An Atzmizdike connection through Bechira, through choice. And that permeates all the way. 
In a way, you could say, it doesn't say this explicitly, that the Jews were not remembered formally Jewish people, were not yet formally Jewish people until Matan Teva. That's why they needed conversion, Gators. So there was still the possibility for someone to say to God, I don't want to have connection with you. God forbid. And a person like that basically is pulling themselves. You can't have the goal of Mitzayim. If they defied God in a different way, it's one thing. But defying God in the very area, I don't want to leave Mitzrayim, that you want to take me out in order to be one with me and connected with me, that cannot work. So Mitzrayim couldn't work for them, the goal of Mitzrayim. They basically essentially disqualified themselves. But there he doesn't talk about 80%, even though he brings in the Medrash. There he talks about, the, about in general, the Cheshach, that there were people who passed away, Machas Cheshach. The question is not whether some people passed away. That seems everybody agrees that some did. The question is 80%, or whatever the numbers. The numbers are astronomical because there are other opinions, actually, as well. So that would be the way to explain this. Gula Amitiz Vashlema is already a Jewish people's Atzmizdik connection. There's no way that can be severed. There's no question that every Jew will go out of the Gula. I, it says in the Gemara in Sanhedrin, so that you talk about the generations past, people who died, for whatever reason. But now comes a follow-up question. What about this? How do you explain the Friedrich Rebbe's seemingly harsh words that some Jews remained in Egypt and the same will be in the final redemption? Rabbi, recently someone showed me a piece from Sefer HaSichas of the Friedrich Rebbe, Tovshin Beis, Purim, at the end of the Sikha, where the Friedrich Rebbe writes that the wicked people during Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim that died were brought back to life to watch their fellow Yudin leave while they were left behind. Friedrich Rebbe continues with saying that the same will happen when Mashiach comes, that some will be granted eternal life while others will suffer shame and disgrace and that people should pray that they not be left in darkness. We were discussing how to be macabre, these seemingly very harsh words. The way that I have learned to take these messages in the past is by always reminding myself that at the end of the day, Hashem is all good, and no bad comes from above, and the Rabbein, being totally aligned with His goodness, obviously also want the best for all of us. However, sometimes, sometimes needs to convey these messages in a very stern way to see something harshly. The thing is that this still doesn't totally dissolve the initial harshness, in, because the Friedrich Rebbe in, is basing what he's saying from a previous experience that happened to the Yidden while leaving Mitzrayim. Can you please possibly shed some light as to how you view these messages from the Rabbeim? Will some be eternally shamed and disgraced? How is one to view these harsh messages when we learn that all is for good, for the good, and that Hashem is all good? Surely we cannot fathom how Hashem would leave something to be eternally shamed, someone to be eternally shamed and disgraced. Your response is greatly cherished. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So, yes, so indeed, this is in Tafshin Bay's. The Sikha is on page 86, at the end of the Purim Sikha. When you look closely, it doesn't say exactly that this was cited. He does say that, the, that in Svarim it says, and we have to find where the Svarim are, that the Rishoyim, the wicked ones that died during the three days of darkness in Egypt, So they were brought alive to see how the Jews go out of Egypt and they remain. In context to what he said before, that there'll be busha, there'll be shame for what people did or did not do. Then he says, Same thing will be when Mashiach comes. There will be those that go to eternal life and those that will be shamed due to the fact that they were unable to serve. We have to beseech that we should not remain in the darkness. Now the three days of darkness, the Friedrich Rebbe says. Basically being asleep, as he says, or a deep sleep or slumber, we have to make sure not to be there. So when he says when Mashiach will come, it will also be the, this case, of course contradicts so much of what we know. The Friedrich Rebbe the Rebbe says that Atem Tluktu, the, the Rebbe is saying, Rashi brings it from Medrash, that God will take every Jew out of Golis. There won't be one Jew that will remain. So how does he say here that Mashiach comes? That will be the case. So if you read the next section of the Sikhe, you see, Cheves Hayemi Zadez Genin Gasu Betna Eden Legend Film, Hitten Taras Meshpoche. 
the Chavis Hayyim, the responsibility of our time, is to go on the street and ask a Jew to put on film to, to keep Taras HaMishpacha. What is the Friedrich Rebbe saying? He just said that it will also be like that, the situation. He's saying it as in a way of saying, of motivating, exactly as you write, that we should go out and touch every Jew. Because remember, the Jews are not at fault. We're not talking about necessarily the Jews in Egypt. There, you can argue, they knew better. And yet they chose they don't want to go out. Here we're talking about people who don't know better, and that's why the Fidika Rebbe is saying, go out and make sure that they put on tefillah and do all the mitzvahs they have to do to make sure that they can march into the Gula properly. So what does he mean that Bish Mashiach, they'll be the same type of scenario? So you could either say that people who knew better, that's what he's referring to, so they will have that element. I would say all Jews will go out of Golas. Well, the Rebbe has already a Rishime, where he speaks in Shuvah Sibyurim. It's everyone will ultimately be redeemed. There's no question about it, as we spoke earlier from the Sikha and Chelik However, the question is how they'll be redeemed. Whether they'll be in their full personality as they are now, or their neshama and not their full personality. In other words, le'yidich memen and goes on everybody. Everybody will have that connection. The question is whether they'll be in this personality or not this personality. Like we talk about Gilgal. Will it be you are as you are in this life or as you were in a different lifetime? In other words, it's siyur. Will your tzir also be part of it? Will your personality also be part of the gula? That's one way you can explain it. Um, another thing, so, so two things so far. Number one is a motivator, because that's the whole point here. He says, we don't want to have this busha and do something about it now. And number two, that everybody will be redeemed, even those that unfortunately may not do what they have to do. And, um, and uh, at some, uh, but, uh, but the question is, again, which personality whether it will be in the same personality as they were in this lifetime. Because at the end of the day, our work helps us, to appreciate the gu'ula. If you come in without the preparation, without the garments, even if you did shuva, you still need to be able to have kalim. So it's critical. This isn't a punishment, and this is my main point, a punishment to say, okay, look at you. Now you're going to be embarrassed you weren't part of it. It's actually a cause and effect if you come with dirty garments, you can't enter the palace, not because it's not respectful, it just doesn't tolerate it. It's like certain pure places cannot tolerate something that doesn't have the right preparation. So this is about how to enter, not about any punishment or any type of re- 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 um, consequence, but rather cause and effect. And the cause and effect is the key here. That why is there, why people who did not do what they have to do, so yes, they now see those that are leaving Mitzrayim, so they recognize that they don't have the ability to, they didn't have, they didn't create the containers to be able to receive this light. But one way or another, every Jew will receive the light in the Gula Mitzvah due to the fact that the Etzim HaNashamah is complete and intact, and especially Tanekesh and Nishbu, people who are not at their fault at all, who don't know better, how could you expect from them anything? All we can do is awaken the spirit and soul within them. Okay. There's so much more to cover. Um, let me go a few more questions in. But I want to add one more thing to what I said earlier from the Gemara and Kufir Aleph in Sanhedrin. I should have added, and I'll add now, is... It's also, there's opinions there that's not talking about the Jewish people. That's talking about the non-Jewish people. Which, of course, then would eliminate the whole question, how does it say that not all Jews will go out, will, some, the Jews will pass away before the Gula comes. But nevertheless, Maral says that, as I said, that's talking about the generations past. So either way, the answer, the answer is there. Okay. <clears throat> Um, next question, Pesach wise. Okay. Well, let me add, add do another question that's connected to the previous topic. I think it works well here. Are, are Jews 
inherently good or do they have the same potential to do evil as non-Jews? How do you explain the Jews who are, for example, architects of Stalin's gulags or part of the Efsexia or Kapos, Efsexia was the communist Jews, the communist Jewish movement. In Tanya it says that the Jews are ultimately good. End of chapter one. I was told that there were Jews, that, 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 that there were, I was told that there were Jews, that Jews cannot be truly evil. But I recently heard that many of the architects of Stalin's gulags, as well as many of his henchmen and members of his secret service were Jewish. Lazar Kaganovich being the most notorious. We also know about the Evsexia and the Jewish members of the KGB. Does this suggest that Jews have the same capability to do evil as everybody else? And how about the Kapos? And if that is true, what makes us unique? Unfortunately, Bechira does allow people to make choices and sometimes terrible choices. Yes. However, the point in Tanya is, and that's the point I was making before about the Geula, the redemption, is that inherently every Jew has a chelik elikam mal mamish, part of the divine, a soul, a divine soul. And even if it's in complete concealment, as he speaks later in chapter 11, about a Rosh Virale, that he doesn't even have regrets, it's still there in a form of makif, at least. It's still a pile of flame. And that's why we never give up on anyone. That still doesn't mean we all know that a criminal belongs in prison. That's not a question. The Torah is full of laws dealing with issues of sins and, mis- and, and misdemeanors and so on. But at the end of the day, there's still a chelik mamish. And that's what makes it unique. And we try to reach, unfortunately, some people through their distortions, bad education, or whatever it is, come to a point where that becomes so concealed that you can't tell that it's there. But even then, we never, ever give up hope. Alter Rebbe says in Perikit Ches, in your test, talks about even a Kal Shebekalim will be Mesidus Nefesh. I, we see, what about these individuals? At some, something, at some point, it would have reached them. Maybe they didn't want Zeichet to reach. Because Pechirik does ultimately can conceal. But the goodness still remains. I will add even further, even when it comes to non-Jewish people, when it says, Eim Bam Tev Klau, that Samach Tzedek adds, the Balei Lula of Yud Gimel Nissen, Eim Dem Klem Mitzad Atzma, on their own. But every human being was created B'Tzalem Elikim, the divine image. And Chesidum Elam, righteous Gentiles, have a place in the world to come. And how much more so when you talk about the Jew, who has a, a, a Nefesh Elikis, a divine soul, as explained in chapter 2. But everybody's divine spark, ultimately. Good is always more powerful than evil, but we've seen what evil can do. So as sad as it is about these individuals you mentioned, that does, still does not mean we would give up hope. And even the Friedrich Rebbe in prison tried by saying certain things, by appealing and so on, to trying to reach their neshama. Whether something was reached, we always believe something was reached, but not everybody merits to see it in their lifetime. But as the Rebbe explains, and I have once wrote it up in English at length, if anybody wants it, I'd be happy to send it. Just send us your email address at chsidasupply.com. Give us your email address. But the Rebbe explains that the fact is that everybody, even those that it says cut us, they'll be cut off. Every neshama will ultimately be redeemed one way or another. The question about the Jews before Matan Teda, so there it goes into the issue what, what, what neshamas they had, are we talking about the same level of neshama when Jews and non-Jews were not yet defined in the halachic legal sense of the word? But regardless, after Matan every neshama will be redeemed. The question is in what form and fashion. Because the neshama remains intact. Neshama It's always pure. But sometimes the channels, how the neshama expressed itself through its body, through this material world, that can become toxic and polluted. Tshuva can repair that. But if tshuva wasn't done, or situations where choices were made that were evil choices, so there may be a part of their expression, as I said before, personality that may not include that. But the neshama will always remain intact and always be part of the redemption. Okay. With that, let me go one more piece about the question of Chassidus that was asked. Chassidus question. Shalom of Rachel. Okay, 
Okay, volume three, Pasha Bashal from Yutzvah Tavshachav Beis. The Rebbe explains that the level of Exodus is Kabbalah sale. So Exodus from Egypt is Kabbalah sale, accepting divine, the yoke of heaven. However, Kriya Shamsav is revelation of the godly soul and eventually the revelation of godliness over the whole world. So Kriya Shamsav is not just the initial accepting God, but it's also the revelation of the divine and transforming and ultimately giving power to transform the world. But it's interesting that in Teira Er, the Maimer Vahib the Rebbe clearly says, meaning the Alta Rebbe, Kriya Shamsav is Kabbalah sale. These are his words. That in order to come to Yamsuf, which is level Kabbalah sale, they had to go around the they had to Lasuf, that's the Pasuk in Bishal of Yosef. Same Pasuk it says Chamushim, to go around the Midbar to prepare them by so called cleansing them to the Kabbalah sale of of uh, Kriyas Yamsuf. Thanks for your amazing shiur. So it seems like a contradiction. So first of all, Kabbalah sale has levels. When you say Kabbalah sale for a child, for example, is different than a Kabbalah sale of an adult. Kabbalah sale of a tzaddik is different than a Kabbalah sale of a benini. So the acceptance of yoke on the most initial level begins in Mitzrayim. Kriyas Yamsuf is in a more developed level, seven days later. Relative to Mitzrayim, you could say now the Kabbalah sale is also beginning to affect the world, as the sea parted, the mix of, <laughs> of earth and land, the hidden worlds and the revealed worlds. You can also say that in, in Christian there's two elements. One is the Kabbalah sale, like they said, avde. the Kabbalah sale, that they saw the consummation of Mitzrayim, because remember, Christian was the end of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, in that sense, it's still the Kabbalah sale of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, now it's the conclusion. Then there's a second element to Kriya Shamsuf, which is the parting of the sea, the actual effect on the physical world, which is more than just Kabbalah sale by the people. No, it's not just the Gavre. The Gavre, being the individual, this was the conclusion of their redemption. Now it's also starting to impact the physical world. Now Mitzrayim also impacted the physical world, but not quite like Kriya Shamsuf in that full fashion, which ultimately also eliminated, once and for all, the Egyptians who pursued the Jewish people. So too today, we have both elements. Kabbalah, Nasev and Nishma. Kabbalah sale is the idea of Amuna, faith. Pesach is about faith. But we also drink wine. And wine is about pleasure. Wine is also about expansiveness. Because it's not just about divesting, divesting ourselves and suspending ourselves. It's also about integrating godliness into our lives. Both the concept of Kabbalah sale and Gili Elikus and divine revelation to the point of divine integration. Okay, with that we conclude episode 349 of My Life Chassidus Applied. Everyone have a very kosher and freilich and Pesach, and before that a very happy Yudal of Nisan. Take on the achlotis, going to Shabbos Agol next Shabbos, and then Pesach, a kosher and freilich and Pesach, a true redemptive Pesach that will lead us from Pesach, kimet seischem eretz mitzayim, aren and flaws, to see the wonders of the Geula, this program obviously will not take place next Sunday, which is Yontif, and the Sunday afterwards, which is Achoshal Pesach. So I'll see you in two weeks, three weeks from now. Everyone have a very kosher for Elohim Pesach, and we should all merit to see the Geulah even before Yeralaf Nisan. This program is brought to you by My Life, Chasidis Applied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at chasidisapplied.com slash donate.